This is Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Magda Matachi and Marian Mondachi. Both are Roma and grew up in or near Bucharest, Romania. Both spent many years advocating for the rights of Roma people in Romania. For the past eight years, Magda has worked as a researcher on the Roma project at Harvard University in Cambridge. Marion worked for years as a human rights lawyer. He recently moved to Boston and soon will be practicing human rights law in the US. We will discuss the work my guests have done in trying to protect the human rights of Roma people. Magda, can you describe uh, who Roma people are, where they came from, things, issues like that. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for the invitation, Steve. It is a great pleasure to, to join this conversation today. Um, I think that your question is very complex and complicated, especially in the Roma case, uh, and especially in discussing uh, the the early history of Roma and their migration from India to the territories of, of Europe and other continents. And I say that because we have very few accounts regarding the, the migration of Roma uh, to, to, to Europe. And more so, most of these uh, early uh, accounts of Roma history have been, uh, you know, uh, put on paper by Roma themselves. So it's a non-Roma perspective on, on, on Roma. However, that being said, what I would like to, to say briefly is that the Roma or the Romani people are a global diaspora of about 15 million people um, who live across the world from, from Europe to Australia, uh, the United States, or uh, the, the America more large, largely, and the Middle East. Um, Roma fled India about a thousand years ago, and they moved across uh, Western Asia into Southern and Eastern Europe, with the majority of Roma being uh, settled in countries like present-day Turkey, Romania, Slovakia, Bulgaria, or um, uh, or, or Hungary and the, and the Czech Republic. Um, I think that uh, it's also important to mention that Roma people uh, have a, a, a language which is uh, rooted and based in Sanskrit, and we have uh, various dialects of, of our of our language, which are also influenced by the you know the the, the history of Roma on the territories of the of, uh, of, of the countries they they have lived um, in for for centuries. We have a culture which is very diverse, as diverse as our uh, dialects. And we have a history uh, which is a very much a history of injustice uh, on the territories of Europe and uh, in the territories of, uh, of, other, uh, of other continents. We have a beautiful culture which is often neglected or, or misrepresented um, in the arts and, uh, and the media and so on. For instance, flamenco, which is a... Uh, uh, Romani uh, music from, from Spain has been rarely uh, acknowledged and celebrated as a Romani feature uh, or as part of our Romani culture. And um, at this point, am I correct that 
um, Roma people have spread out across Europe as well as into North America and South America and perhaps elsewhere. Yes, so these 15 million Roma are spread uh, across the world. And what I would say is that the majority of Roma indeed live in Europe, especially in Central, Eastern and Southern Europe. But it's true that we have a population of Romani people, for instance, of about 1 million Roma living in the United States. Americans uh, usually refer to Romani people as gypsies. But to many of us, gypsy is a racial slur. And in fact, uh, our uh, recent study at Harvard, which involved Romanian Americans, showed that um, a third of Romanian Americans felt um, disrespected or felt that gypsy was a racial slur when uh, they heard it in uh, various American spaces. What, what would, that, would that word have the same um, impact as... Um, somebody using the N-word toward a white person saying the N-word to a black person. I think, you know, the, the, the two uh, words or the, the two terms have different histories. And uh, uh, I think there is some level of comparison, but I think that uh, uh, when it comes to the terminology, I would rather say that the term Tsigan, which is the Romanian version of uh, of the term gypsy or tigoiner or tiganski in uh, very various other countries would be closer to to the n-word in the united states because i think the term tigan for instance on the territory of romania during the slavery was a synonym for slaves so uh, from from that perspective i see uh, more similarities but i think that in the context of the united states very often americans think that the gypsies uh, are not a people but they think about gypsies as being in uh, you know a social identity a group of people who share this uh, you know this desire of going beyond the laws of uh, being a little bit uh, you know, um, uh, nomads and all that. In fact, you know, the, the, even the term it's, itself is like so derogatory because if you were to think at the, the verb to be gypped, which is still used in the American context, what we see is that, uh, you know, it, it, it brings closer the idea of, of Roma through the use of the gypsy language to the idea of criminality. So basically we are talking about a, an identity of criminality, an identity of a people that are seen as a people who are criminal uh, by nature. So I think that's uh, in, uh, in essence is extremely racist. Thank you. Um, what's the, the level of poverty? What would... Um, what, are there deficiencies in housing that Roma people have? Um, I think that um, in in Europe uh, we have been able to to collect uh, a lot of data regarding the access of Roma to social and economic rights. Uh, and in fact, one of the agencies of the European Union, namely the Fundamental Rights Agency, has been very cons consistent in the past decade in collecting data about Roma and looking at discrepancies between uh, Roma and non-Roma in terms of access to, to social and economic rights. And by that, I mean, you know, so access to education, access to, to health services, employment, differences in, uh, in, uh, in poverty. What we know from 
for instance, is that 80% of Roma people who live in the European Union and have been engaged in these uh, fundamental rights agency studies live in poverty. And let's not forget that we are talking about the European Union, the second largest, uh, the region with the second largest G uh, GDP in the world, a very rich region, but where, you know, if you were to travel and see some of the Roma communities and, you know, the level of poverty that you encounter there is far from being what we imagine that the European Union um, uh, um, is. Uh, and more uh -huh. so during the pandemic, we, we noticed that these, uh, you know, structural inequalities that persist in Europe and uh, have a, you know, a, a, a deep-rooted history in, uh, in racism impacted and uh, put at risk the lives of, of Roma people more so than the lives of others. For instance, in Romania... Two-thirds of Romani people, compared to 38% of the majority, live in households without running water and an even higher percentage have no toilet or bathroom in the house. And this affects uh, a lot of Roma people throughout this crisis and throughout this pandemic. And at least in many of the Roma communities I've been in, it's, it's a very densely populated community. Um, set of apartments or or buildings so that it's would be very hard to have um six feet of distancing uh, it is indeed i think and the, i think that many studies in in the united states including i think uh, work by mary bassett at, at the fxp center for human rights at harvard at our center uh they show that in uh you know this high level of density in in, in the house puts at risk uh you know families yeah. uh, much more and it's not just the high level of of density it's also the fact that uh, in many instances, Roma people, like for instance, Roma who live in Patarut, in a community that uh, has been, you know, forcedly evicted from uh, um, in inclusion Apoca, they live on a, a garbage dam, and it's 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 their lives have been at risk not only throughout the pandemic but also before, and also the community in Mercuriachuk in Romania who has been you know, uh, remoted from, from their, uh, their community to a toxic area. They have been there for more than uh, 15 years now. So I think that when we talk about Roma and housing, it's much more than poverty. Very often we talk about environmental injustice. Um, well, the, the issues that Roma people um, are dealing with are, are complex and far too many. Um, uh, can you um, just talk for a little bit about the experience of, um, of Roma in World War II, um, particularly what the Nazis did? It's not something I think that's as well known in the U.S. as it should be. I think that's, uh, you know, the, the Holocaust is a very tragic uh, uh, episode in the, in the Roma history, which all together has been a history of, you know, injustice after injustice from the 1300s when Roma were enslaved in the territories of Romania for 500 years to the, to the Nazi genocide, but also to the big gypsy roundup in, in Spain where, you know, Roma were killed 
uh, through a genocide uh, in the 1700s and other instances of state-sponsored violence. So the whole history of Roma is one of injustice and, and violence from, from the state. But particularly in the case of the Holocaust, what we, we see is that very rarely those who are engaged in the study of the, of the Holocaust or those who know and are aware about the Holocaust even they uh, rarely know about the experience of Roma and uh, the killings of Roma during the Holocaust. And it's not an episode that uh, can be forgotten and neglected because we are speaking of at least you know, half a million Roma who were killed uh, during the Holocaust, although some studies would say that there were more than a million and other would place it uh, on the lower side of, uh, of, uh, of numbers, uh, saying that only... Or also, you know, 250,000 people were, were killed from our community. But it's important to say that up to date, we don't feel that the Roma Holocaust has been acknowledged as much as it should have. We don't see the Roma Holocaust and the experience of Roma during the Second World War mentioned or acknowledged in history books in various European countries. And there is no commemoration. There are no museums, not enough museums to actually show that Roma were part of, of this tragic episode in Europe. Yeah. Um, it's uh, when the way you talk about it is just the amount of people who were killed, um, the trauma for families, but then to um, not have it being memorialized, um, I think, must just continue and increase the trauma as well, um, compared to the, the 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 many many memorials um, um, about the number of Jews who were killed in the Holocaust. Um, and it's not just the issue of memorialization; it's also the issue of you know the more. A broader idea of reparations, because if you were to think about Romani children who are orphans, and then they, you know, they because of uh, of deportation in Transnistria, uh, and then they were returned to Romania, they didn't benefit not only from financial compensations, but also they didn't benefit from any sort of psychological support. And even up today, Marianne Mandaki and other colleagues in Romania uh, are working towards asking the Romanian government to ensure pensions to the very few survivors that we, yeah. we have left in, in the country. Thank you. Marian, can you talk uh, about growing up um, in or near um, uh, the capital and, um, and, you know, um, I believe where you lived uh, at one point, there was um, a raid of police. Um, so, just. Hello. So, my name is uh, Marian Mandake, and I'm a uh, uh, Romanian uh, Roma from uh, the group of Fursari. And I have been uh, in um, uh, living in Romania all of my life. Uh, particularly at the outskirts of uh, Bifrat. Uh, so I've been uh, uh, doing uh, human rights for uh, the past 20 years. I started in uh, 
my uh, first year in uh, law school as a volunteer in an organization that was named Avena Mensa, that was a non-governmental organization, or as you call them in the United States, a non-profit. Uh, and uh, I started so uh, following some um, uh, discussions that I had with my uh, prof- teacher in uh uh, high school, who was also a Roma, a Roma woman. Her name is uh, Roxana Marin, and she told me about um, human rights, about the Roma minority, and about the Roma uh, organizations. So, oh, so Marian, just if I can, um, uh, I'm just curious um, how many other Roma people were at this school, and how many other Roma teachers? Uh, for uh, the Roma uh, teachers, I believe that she was the only one, at least openly uh, saying that, that that she's Roma. Uh, and uh, for the Romanian, uh, for the the, the, the pupils, uh, I think that myself and my sister were probably the only ones that uh, were Roma in, uh, at least in our class or in our year. And then um, you went on from high school to study law. Yes, I did. I went from uh, the bilingual high school uh, of uh, Georgia Kozhbuk, it is called. It's one of the best high schools, or at least it was back in those days uh, in uh, in Bucharest and in the country. And I started uh, law school in the Romanian-American University in Bucharest uh, and... Uh, I got my law degree there. And uh, did in any of your schooling um, uh, run into uh, racism from professors or teachers? Uh, yes, particularly in the space of the um, uh, university. Uh, we had a, there was such an incident during a uh, criminal law class when the criminal law professor uh, he uh, was uh, talking about assault and battery at that point and uh, I think that's how you call it in uh, in the English legal terms uh, and um, we had a, a presentation where he presented a case of road rage and it was an incident where two men had a crash in traffic or a fight in traffic, and they, they one of them, he went uh, out uh, to the other man's car. He was armed with a baseball bat, and the other man, uh, uh, he got down uh, from the car and he took a uh, sword uh, and uh, stabbed uh, the other uh, person. Uh, and that was a road rage incident, like I said earlier, but the professor insisted on the fact that one of the uh, men uh, involved in the conflict was uh, Tsigan, as he called him in Romanian, that's a, a derogatory term, uh, you, you would equal it to gypsy. Um, and he insisted on it uh, in a manner which, uh, in my opinion, was racist. And, and the fact that uh, um, there, there was no need to mention any of the, the uh, ethnicities of these uh, peoples were was also the case because in, uh, the, this was not a racially motivated incident from what he described. It was just a regular road rage incident, let's say. And you, you had a um, another incident with him 
Uh, yes, indeed, at uh, the point uh, where uh, in uh, Romania, back uh, in those times, you had to have a... Um, there, there was a note, uh, a notebook, where all the written notebook, where all the grades would be uh, uh, marked for each, uh, written down for each uh, student. And uh, I did well in... Uh, in uh, English, and he saw that in the results that I had an A in English or straight A's, and uh, uh, he was quite puzzled by it. And he told me something in the lines like, "Oh, how did you, blonde blonde man, get a uh, get a A in English, right?" And blonde that's like an irony in Romania that people racist people use on Roma because generally the skin of the Roma is is uh, darker uh, and uh, blonde is a way of humiliating the person by calling them uh, that. And uh, he uh, was puzzled by the fact that I had a, an A in English, which I explained to him that has nothing to do with, uh, with the uh, uh, color of your skin, but uh, I learned that in uh, in my previous uh, years of schooling. Um, you are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU. I am Steve Wessler, the host. My guests today are Magda Matache and Marianne Mantachi. Both are Roma and grew up in or near Bucharest, Romania, both spent many years advocating for the rights of Roma people. Magda, in your life in school and perhaps even older, were you hearing degrading language about Roma, both in school as well as just on the street? Yes, um, quite a lot. And I think that thinking about this degrading language, or we could call it everyday discrimination, I think that's a daily reality of so many Roma children and Roma young people in, in schools, in public uh, places in their daily encounters. Unfortunately, we do not, uh, you know, discuss as much about these encounters. Um, although, you know, we I think even uh, in our work as activists or scholars, we focus more on uh, very violent cases of, uh, of discrimination or abuse against Roma. But these encounters in which Roma young, young Roma children are called names, like being called gypsy, being called ironically uh, blonde or, or white, or being disregarded, being underestimated by schools, uh, by you know teachers in the schools, by classmates and so on. These experiences matter a lot. And these, uh, these uh, you know, have a lot of impact. Uh, on Roma children and Roma young people. In a study that we um, we published at Harvard two years ago, what we showed was that such experiences of being humiliated, being called racial slurs and so on, uh, pushed Roma away from, from schools. So many of the young people that we interviewed decided to give up schools because of 
of such experiences of humiliation and uh, and and racism. And I think that both Marianne and I can, you know, think about instances in our own, you know, educational experiences in which. I, for instance, wanted to drop out because of uh, of feeling, uh, you know, humiliated or feeling not respected, and feeling that my dignity was stolen from me, and being robbed from your ding of your dignity is so strong, uh, and so painful that we really have to, you know, to to think more carefully about how do we create policies in order to to prohibit that. Um, it's a uh... I think the, the the hurt and the uh, the lack of of being viewed as a important person uh, for kids is is just tremendously destructive. Um, um, just to carry um, you, sort of your biography up to today, could you just um, sort of Tell me the, the degrees that you've had um, in terms of, I mean, I know you've had social work and sociology, master's in public policy, and but also a PhD. Am I correct about that? Yes, I also have a PhD in political science, and I graduated from... Uh from Harvard Kennedy School, from a master's in uh, in public administration, and I also have indeed a master in uh, in public policy. So, in a way, my whole um, um, you know education, but also my career, have been uh, focused on a, on this idea of solutions. How do we respond to racism? What are the kind of anti-racist measures that we can think of in order to make the lives of Roma and other oppressed groups and peoples uh, across the world uh, fairer and, you know, just in terms of uh, um, of responding to, to racism. But I think that you know, it is perhaps uh, my activism that informed much more my my idea of justice than anything else. And um, both of you took that um, that tremendous drive you had to create justice to work for a um, a Roma nonprofit, or as in Europe would be NGO, uh, Romani Chris um, uh, and Magda. You were. Uh, the executive director, and then when you left to go to Harvard, uh, uh, Marianne, you you took over. Um, so uh, I, I know you spent a um, made a tremendous amount of time trying to uh, address these issues with school, particularly the segregated schools. Could you talk about that? And then I want to move on to talk about police brutality. Uh, and the issues that you have spent so much time on, Marian. Yeah, so what I would say is that, you know, for a long time, uh, we've been, you know, uh, listening to non-Roma, talking about our culture as being a culture that doesn't value education. So this is one of the main stereotypes that non-Roma in Europe have about Roma. But it's not just, uh, prejudice is also a way to justify 
why uh, you know poor education is provided to Roma children. So you know prejudice for long has been used to justify racism, and this is what we have in Romania and in Europe when it comes to education by saying that Roma do not value education. Non-Roma say that it is justified not to provide them with good quality education. And throughout the history of the public education in Europe, we've seen many accounts in which Roma families were trying to enroll their children to school and their children were rejected from 1800s in London to, you know, 2020 in, in Romania. This is a daily reality of Roma chil- children and their families. They are either rejected from enrollment, for instance, nowadays in some kindergartens, or they are separated in special schools, in segregated schools and classes and so on. So it is a school system that rejects them as opposed to the Roma culture that rejects education. And I think that this has to be very clearly you know, stated and very clearly argued. And I, I, you know, I make that uh, argument and bring evidence and proofs in, in my research quite a bit along uh, uh, about it. But I think that the history of, um, of school segregation is very much related to the, to the, you know, theories of races and the idea of, um, uh, of inferiority and the eugenics. So basically in the, in the early 90s, uh, 1930s, we see a transfer of eugenics ideas from you know one part of the Atlantic to the other, from the United States to Europe, and we see the you know the seeds of special schools or the idea of special schools and the placement of special, uh, Roma uh, children in special schools through the justification of Roma inferiority. And since then, the pattern of having Roma children misdiagnosed with uh, you know a disability and place in these special schools has been a reality up until today in the Czech Republic and Slovakia, the European Court of Human Rights has shown that this is this is a pattern. And we see, you know, school segregation in other forms, including separating Roma children and place them in a separate class, a classroom or a separate uh, school building. These are realities across uh, you know, Europe as well, including in, in Romania. And more so what we see from Fundamental Rights Agency is that school segregation has increased from 2011 to 2016, uh, from 10% to 15% across well, Europe. That, that's really disturbing that it's increasing. Um, but uh, I understand that uh, in your tenure at Romani Chris, that um, that you were um, working on trying to um, change the law. Uh, can you talk about that? Yes, early on in the two thousands, Romani Chris started to uh, to to look at segregation and identify cases of school segregation across Romania. And uh, in 2003, 2004, we identified uh, together with, with a human rights monitor that was working with us, with Robert Vasi, we identified a case in Jehei, Romania, which um, uh, was, a, you know, um, in, in which the National Council for Combating Discrimination ruled that it was a case of segregation. And from that case on, we, you know, we, we tried to to conduct research and to to prove that that was a, a, a phenomenon, and then we brought more cases uh, to court and so on. 
And in 2006, uh, 2005, 2006, we started a campaign together with other Roma uh, and pro-Roma uh, nonprofit organizations. And we, we asked the Ministry of, of, of Education to adopt a ministerial order that prohibits uh, segregation. And it happened in 2007. So the ministry adopted such a such a uh, such an order. More so in 2011, when the Educational Act in Romania was um, adjusted and modified, we managed to uh, advocate and to have an article that prohibits um, uh, segregation in special schools or placement abusive uh, placement in special schools of. Um, of Roma children and other children based on, uh, you know, on, on race, ethnicity, and other forms of, uh, of discrimination. So, so was this in the parliament or the, um, what, what, um, uh, was this a law that was passed or was it? So the 2007 ministerial order was adopted by the government, so it doesn't have the power of a law. But the 2011 Educational Act, it referred to the whole education uh, educational system in Romania, uh, and it, it was adopted by the parliament. So it was a law. It is an, uh, the law uh, uh, on education, but it only includes an article on uh, special schools now. It doesn't really refer to the experience of segregation, for instance, as the separation of Roma in different uh, classes or different school buildings or different in different schools. And uh, is the government uh, following through on the legislation? No, it doesn't. You know, uh, as in many other cases, I think if we were to look at the, you know, of the experience of the United States, we, you know, we we see the power of uh, of the landmark case brown versus board uh, school of education and it Im its impact throughout the country but that doesn't mean that there are not uh, you know schools segregated um, by race in 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 new york and other states in the united states and it's yeah. it's the same in romania or is it similar in romania i would not say the same because the experiences are very different so we we have this uh, this ministerial order and the the law, but the reality of school segregation remains a concern, and school segregation remains a, a problem. So basically, what we see is that whenever we we take a step forward in dismantling racism through laws and policies, at the same time we also see a sophistication at the level of practice. So basically teachers and school leaders, school managers, they learn how to, to hide segregation uh, in, you know, in a different way, but also there are not mecha no mechanisms uh, for, you know, accountability. So if you are not kept accountable for a case of segregation, then you don't care if you, you know, follow the law or not. Thank you. And, um, Marianne, my guess is that uh, uh, there may be some similarities with the work that you've been doing on trying to reduce um, violence from police toward Roma people. So yeah, police issue is uh, one of the major issues, uh, uh, police brutality against the Roma that uh, we are facing throughout Europe, particularly in Romania. Uh, we had uh, documented in Romanic Greece numerous cases 
throughout the years, particularly since we started doing so in the uh, around 2001. And uh, we have had um, a lot of uh, criminal uh, uh, cases also against police officers in uh, in courts. Usually, it takes the form of um, excessive use of force. It takes the form of uh, uh, torture. We had uh, people who were tortured in in custody, like like uh, the case of an eighteen year old man who was tortured to death in uh, in uh, southwest Romania. Uh, we also had cases of. Uh, uh, people being beaten up by police. We get lots of cases of people being shot and sometimes even killed as a result of those wounds. And in the cases where police have beaten up um, Roma people, um, has some of that been in their homes as well as out, out in the street? So- uh, it has been both. So we've had uh, uh, different uh, instances of where Roma people were built. They were uh, beaten up uh, also in the street. They were also beaten up in their homes or uh, in their courtyards. Uh, so it's uh, a vast array of... Uh, so um, you and other lawyers in uh, Romani, Chris, have um, gone to court uh, in Romanian courts, how approximately how many cases have you brought? Um, we uh, had an analysis on uh, that uh, back in uh, uh, 2006. Uh, so uh, um, that was an analysis that we made on our cases. So that's just what uh, just what we identified uh, as an. Uh, uh, issue and uh, in uh, our uh, uh, cases we identified uh, 55 cases over that period of time none of which was one in front of the national court so in- oh, so wait a second none of those cases uh, ended up in a verdict in your favor yes all the verdicts were uh, not favorable to us and how did that come to be you would you would come uh, um, I, I I know that you and your colleagues do really good legal work so well in all the cases we had strong strong evidence uh, we had eyewitnesses in some of the cases we even have a video footage of the actual violence being perpetrated um, the problem was and still is in my opinion the fact that uh, prosecutors, magistrates, uh, prosecutors, and and also judges, but mainly prosecutors, are covering up for the police officers. That's the main uh, the main thing, and there is a strong bias against the Roma people and in favor of the police uh, uh, officers in uh, such type of cases. Can you give me an example of what they would cover up? Um, uh, yes. So basically, uh, they would uh, not. Uh, the main thing is that uh, they would uh, establish the facts based on the version of the police, disregarding blatantly what other eyewitnesses say or the uh, concrete uh, claims that uh, Roma people or Roma witnesses would uh, make. 
Um, so this was even criticized by the European Court of Human Rights itself, who has clearly stated that the government, and particularly the prosecutors, must look at both sides and they must give equal value to both sides involved in that uh, uh, conflict. However, the uh, statement of facts was basically a copy-paste from the uh, police reports. So I, I want to talk, have you talk about um, your success in bringing the cases that you lost um, in Romanian courts in the European Court of Human Rights. But can you explain what that uh, the European Court of Human Rights is? Because it really doesn't have, um, uh, there's nothing like that in the U.S., a multinational court. Uh, so uh, the way it works is that the European Court of Human Rights is uh, implementing the European Convention of Human Rights, which is adopted by all the member states of the Council of Europe. The Council of Europe is 50-plus uh, uh, member states uh, uh, international organization and includes countries such as uh, Italy, France, uh, Germany, and more recently also uh, countries uh, such as uh, Turkey or Russia or also Romania from 1994. Um, and uh, we had uh, uh, the system is designed as such that uh, that convention covers uh, a number of fundamental rights such as freedom of assembly, uh, habeas corpus or also uh, freedom of uh, expression or belief. And uh, those rights are also to be covered by national uh, uh, legislation. Uh, any person who believes that has been wronged by, uh, by the state, like for example in our case in Romania, uh, must first uh, file a complaint, whether criminal or civil, in front of the national courts. It is only after the national courts had their final say and the national remedies have been exhausted that a complaint can be within six months filed to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, who will analyze if the convention was violated or not and issues a decision which can be negative or positive. The decision is positive to the uh, victim who has complained, to the individual victim who has complained, then that will lead to a condemnation of the government, not of the perpetrators, the government, the state. And that will lead to also, that can also lead to uh, financial remedies. So that the victims could get compensated. Yes. Um, um, and how many of those of the cases did you bring to the European Court of Human Rights? Uh, we had 12 uh, police abuse cases that we brought to the European Court of Human Rights and we won all of them. Um, a, a rather um, stunning set of statistics compared to the, um, the Romanian Court and the European Court of Justice. And uh, I, if I'm correct, uh, that the European Court of Human Rights uh, would be a civil court in U.S. language as opposed to a criminal court. It's, um, in other words, the, they don't have the ability to put somebody in prison or jail. 
Uh, yes, it's a supranational court, but uh, they do not have the ability to to put people in jail. So I wouldn't call it to be a, a criminal court. Hey. Um, uh, can, can you give um, an example of one um, a particularly disturbing um, case that you took to the court of? Human human rights about um, where the abuse was something that hard to, probably hard to get out of your your mind at times. Uh, there were quite a few actually, and uh, I'll just uh, uh, present a few. So there was a case of a young man in uh, uh, Bucharest uh, who was uh, chased by the police in. Uh, uh, in the cars, then the the chase uh, continued on foot, and he the young man was jumping the uh, fence to get into his own home. Uh, when the police pulled out the gun and they shot him in the neck, he died on the spot. Uh, then uh, during the investigation, the police uh, moved the date of the 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 incident. So basically in the documents, they changed the date because on that day, the police was not on duty. He was not supposed to have his guy and gun on him and he was not supposed to chase people and kill them. So they moved the date in order to cover up for him. Also, there was another incident with a, uh, uh, um, a case with a, a 13 year old, uh, Roma girl who was uh, crossing the track lines uh, to get home and uh, she was shot in the back with a hunting rifle by the police uh, and she had to cut down some of their, her inner organs and she, that uh, permanent damage that she has suffered. She was just 13 back then. Uh, again, that was a case where the, the, the prosecutors covered up uh, uh, and uh, the, the the clothes with which the girl was uh, dressed with uh, were left in the hospital uh, and the police picked them up, but they disappeared. So that's another very strange incident and unlawful. They were covering up. Well, they're, they're, they're awful cases to hear and obviously much more awful for the people involved. Um, yeah, there were also other cases like, for example, the case of Lingurar, the Romania, where uh, his entire family was beaten up by the police. He's a uh, uh, the local leader, a Roma leader there, informal leader, and he uh, his houses were raided by the police, and they beat up him and his uh, uh, son, as well as uh, his wife and his uh, daughter. Uh, so uh, they were all beaten up. Uh, they required numerous uh, days of medical care following that uh, particular instance. In this case, we were also able to uh, have a look in some of the police file, uh, police documents that they submitted into the court because we filed a criminal complaint in front of the court. And in the police uh, documents, uh, they presented some information about the local Roma community in that village in central Romania. And from that uh, thing, we started comparing the data with uh, the census data. And we found out that the data they had on the Roma uh, local community were different to the ones that uh, were existing uh, uh, in the official census. So uh, we looked at that and uh, also at the time when they were gathered and we draw the conclusion that that data did not come from the census and that the police were operating 
with their own ethnic data on uh, uh, on uh, on uh, the Roma, which in Europe is not legal. So we oh. mentioned that in um, our complaint to the European Court of Human Rights, and it is it was established that the Roma were being racially racially profiled by the police. It's, to my knowledge, the first and only case that uh, was uh, uh, ever established by the European Court that uh, the police were engaged in racial profiling. And that, that's that's an, impo- an important case. So when you look back at the years you have been dealing with police abuse, are you seeing any improvement? To a very little extent, because very recently we had this pandemic, so to little to to no extent, I would say, because we've had this uh, pandemic recently this year, so uh, in 2020, it's not over yet. And during the height of the pandemic in in March and April, uh, we did have a lot of police abuse. We had police abuse in Hunedoara. Uh, where uh, uh, one man uh, and one uh, minor were beaten up by the police. Uh, that is uh, also partly shown on uh, the footage. And was that related to the pandemic in some way? Uh, the, all these incidents starting with the fact started with the fact that uh, the police intervened to um, uh, cause or information that uh, pandemic uh, restrictions were not being uh, followed, like uh, stay in the home, don't get out without uh, certain uh, reasons that were allowed by the law or wear a mask, etc. But mainly stay in the home. Um, and uh, the police, uh, that uh, decision, by the way, was declared unconstitutional. So the whole regime that the Romanian government has established on people staying in their homes and not leaving their homes and uh, giving fines uh, by the police, if they were that was the, well, well, that was deemed to be unconstitutional, and I fully agree and support the decision of the you know, the constitutional court because the regime was highly abusive. Uh, but getting back to our main uh, subject, the problem of uh, police abuse was that uh, we also had another case uh, in uh, Bolentin Valley where the local police officer, together with the special forces and the gendarmerie, they took out all the men. Uh, put put them to uh, lie on the ground, face down, uh, handcuff some of them, and they really beat up very strongly one of them, uh, all of them. But uh, one of them, uh, they asked to, to take his uh, shoes off. A couple of them, they asked to take the shoes off, and they would beat them with a bat on the shoes. They're like like pure classic torture. And uh, they uh, part of it uh, that is also filmed, and it made it to the media. Um, and we filed a criminal complaint, so that's underway right now. Uh, but the problem is that uh, the local police officer was just moved for uh, one month or two months, and now he came back on the same uh, position in the same locality, which is absolutely horrible, in my opinion. So it's well, what you've Nothing described is um, that certainly is horrible. And, and that the treatment is horrible. Yeah, that is also filmed. Uh, the, the film yeah. is publicly available. You can actually see and hear how that person was being tortured and he was screaming um, in pain. The, the um, film is much bigger. The film is only shows one small part of the, well, the abuse. Um, the work that both of you do is um, inc- extraordinarily important and, and at the same time extraordinarily difficult. Um, uh, 
Magda, could, could you talk about what the, um, the Harvard Roma project is? It's um, something that I've heard about, but um, don't know as much as I would like. Yes, sure. Uh, we, we put a basis of the Roma program at Harvard back in 2012. Um, when together with Jacqueline Baba and Arlen Fuller, we decided to, to put more emphasis uh, and to raise more awareness about the Roma plight in Europe uh, across the university. The aim of the Roma program uh, back then, uh, and as much as uh, then also now, is really to shift Romani studies away from the margins of academic um, interest and towards a more central place in social and political theory, as well as in um, uh, multidisciplinary and multi-regional uh, studies. I think that the cornerstone uh, of our program is really the fact that we give voice to Roma themselves. Uh, and we strengthen the capacity of, uh, of uh, other Roma scholars and uh, activists, and we support leadership among uh, Roma people. And we do that through uh, research, which involves uh, and engage Roma in all stages of research, uh, but also through, through events and through an annual Roma conference that we organize at Harvard, and also by proposing uh, important topics of research um, uh, uh, with Roma. I think that one issue that I'm really proud of is that is uh, that in 2014, 2015, we started to work on the idea of reparations for state-sponsored injustices, an idea that grew from one, uh, you know, opened into a um, global uh, conference and is uh, finally, you know, um, coming up with, uh, with a volume on reparations and also a Lancet Commission on reparations, which includes Roma, includes Roma, but is not, uh, you know, referring only to, to, to Roma. So I think that it's important to look, as you said, at the, at the Holocaust and look at the um, memorialization of the Holocaust, but also to look at the Roma slavery or the big gypsy roundup in, in Spain and other instances of state violence, and to think about reparations, not only in terms of financial compensations, but also in terms of apology, acknowledgement, memorialization, and more so truth-telling. Um, you know, I, I know after uh, World War II, there were um, some significant amount of money that Germany paid to Israel to, to um, but to, to help survivors. Um, and, uh, but as I understand it, Germany has refused um, to do the same for Roma people. I think that this has been a long struggle for, for Romani people, starting with you know the, the trial in Nuremberg up until today. Uh, when we are still, you know, well, not me, but Marian Mandake and other activists in Romania have been, you know, asking and asking uh, the Romanian government to to provide the rightful pensions to the Romani survivor uh, survivors of the Holocaust in Romania. So I would say that is not just just Germany, but also other countries in Europe uh, where you know Roma um, were victims of the Holocaust that are yet to to provide. Uh, you know, remedies, not only in terms of, of money and pensions, but also in terms of uh, uh, acknowledging 
this painful history for for Europe and for each of these countries, and also to place it in uh, in the history books in museums, and also to co- commemorate it along with uh, with the other victims of the Holocaust. And and uh, my guess is that's um, a long process, but probably. Uh, it's, it must be helpful to be able to come at this from the backing of of Harvard University. It's um, it, it shouldn't have to be, but um, uh, so I'm, I'm interested for both of you as to uh, when you look toward the next decade, do you have some sense of optimism, or do you have a sense of of despair? Um, in terms of the issues we've been talking about. Um, uh, Marion. I think that uh, uh, there is uh, optimism, particularly coming from within our own uh, 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 lines, uh, within our own uh, people, because I'm looking at the uh, younger generations and I see see extremely smart uh, uh, people and I, th- I see people who are increasingly increasingly uh, uh, becoming aware of who they are and uh, they want to 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 be proud and comfortable with that and I think that uh, the I'm I'm ex- mainly extremely confident within the great potential that we have within our own community and uh, I think we'll do a, a really good job in uh, and we have to do a really good job in uh, in bringing that up uh, with regards to to the way in which uh, we are functioning, and, and it just you just got about thirty seconds here. Yeah, in relation to the other uh, part and to non-Roma and state institutions, I think that's an uphill battle that will continue for many decades to come. But the new generations will take that over. Okay, thank you. And Magda, in about uh, ninety seconds, it's a not enough time, but. Yes, I, I do not have a sense of optimism, not not at all. I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic at all. I think that we, um, Roma in Europe and Roma in Latin America and Roma across the world, they 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 face a uh, heavy battle, not only with the pandemic, but also with the rise of extremism, of far right politics and populism uh, across the world. And I think the you know the their daily lives are um, uh, at risk and the structural inequalities are actually uh, growing. So I don't have a sense of optimism. I think that it is important for us to continue to to struggle and to continue to speak up and to continue to work with non-Roma on dismantling racism. And this is what we have to do. Anti-Roma racism is a reality and we have to dismantle it together with non-Roma. Thank you. Um, And thank you both for the work that you've done and will continue to do. You've been listening to Change Agents, conversations with human rights and social justice advocates. We've been discussing the work of each of our guests, uh, Magda uh, Matachi and Marian Mandachi. Both are Roma and grew up in or near Bucharest, Romania. Both spent many years advocating for the rights of Roma people. I hope the coming decades uh, bring some victories and some progress on these issues. Um, And thank you so much for the work you've done. 
Thank you so much for the invitation.